Hey everybody, welcome back to the Look It All podcast. This is your host, Elias Rouse. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRouseMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing Outer Banks, Season 3. And I admit this is the second time I've had to podcast this because for some reason I went off on a Marvel tangent on the previous one and I realized I was talking about Marvel for five minutes and their CGI versus talking about Outer Banks season three. I don't know why. <laughs> I was just like going, I was fucking going off. So uh, I just, I don't know why I'm giggling. Uh, I'm uh, just like tickled by it. But anyways, I got to say, let's, let's kind of take a, take it from there though. We can, we can streamline this. Okay. So I was discussing about Marvel and the reason I was discussing is because they are a big conglomerate of media providers. You know, they are putting out so much shit. So I'm like, their shit better look good. And it's progressively gotten less good. And they're being $200 million projects, $100 million projects. They're putting so much money at the wall that when I look at Outer Banks season three, I'm like, yes, this show is not perfect by a long shot, by a long shot. But it feels like kind of old school TV back in the early 2000s when we could watch this type of stuff without having so many uh, effects driven parts of the show. And I feel like I I, I know the Marvel shows are completely different. There's so many effects as comparison to this, but it's almost visually arresting now to see practical backgrounds i noticeably saw a dip in season three of outer banks i'll be honest this obsession with fathers and finding treasure and all this stuff the will they won't they's pogue life versus kook life goblin life uh it's a little bit played out by the third season and there are there are plot threads that I feel like don't a hundred percent make sense and aren't a hundred percent resolved, but end up somewhat being kind of swept under the rug by the end. Uh, season three is sloppy. I'll say that. But as I opened up the podcast, there's something about it that's just so interesting about being on the quote-unquote east coast or at least in real sets and you can tell that they actually either went to the sets or they they had these real backgrounds the drone shots of the sunsets are just immaculate they look like our uh our planet cinematography i've talked about this in the previous uh podcast about outer banks and you know with saying that i'm like I can only say basically the same thing so many times. I'm like, you know, I, I enjoy hanging with them. I enjoy the cinematography of the show. I'm noticing a major dip in quality from season to season. Season three is normally 
so here's what generally happens with seasons is the first one out the gate is like holy santa claus shit how did that you know like where did that come from you know the first time you're seeing a piece of content you're like wow that's amazing season two normally is a diversion in quality or some sort of diversion in storytelling that maybe the uh, a lot of times people are not so happy with or it's slower or faster or they put more money into the the action scenes and lessen to the story or whatever in season two where they take away money uh such as they did with the walking dead i think they're like you need to do twice as many episodes and you're gonna do for half the budget so it's like damn so uh a lot of times season three is a is a point in a time for a show to come back with a punch in a gusto and so I think season three stretched credulity on a number of levels. Now, here's the thing. It's been about a week and a half since I've finished it, and I don't have the full synopsis of season three, but I'm going to have to regurgitate the majority of the season. Key points, probably out of order, but I'll we'll discuss how it starts and how it ends. Uh right off the top just so that i can get off the top of my head um because there's i'm like barely holding on to this i'm like oh my goodness i'm gonna forget if i don't fucking podcast it oh my god you know so also um i think i just talked about this earlier i can't remember if it was in this podcast or previous one that i'm fighting the pollen there's like a major pollen outbreak on the east coast and i didn't know that i was so sensitive to it and I don't have my allergy medicine, so that's why I was like, bah, 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 bah. so I apologize for that. I've been trying to wait a few weeks to podcast so that I have my voice back 100%. So if you hear me kind of like, oh, my God, like stretching my voice, it's because I'm doing it uh, because the the pollen is so dry in the air. It's so fucking dry. Didn't know that I was as sensitive to it. So speaking of that, I'm going to get a little bit of water before we kind of begin the synopsis of or the entire plot of this season and like i said i would have expected you to have watched this season three at this point we're going to talk about spoilers for the whole thing what i recommended i think it's still interesting and it's better than a lot of television that is out there the whole thing about outer banks is are you at least entertained and having a good time and despite it's 33 percent on rotten tomatoes for season three in comparison to i believe it was uh um 70 so so season three has an approval rating of 33 based only on six reviews on rotten tomatoes so that's subject to change with an average rating of 2.9 out of 10 i think that's a little harsh for your rotten tomatoes season two had an 86 percent approval rating based on only seven reviews so not many people are reviewing this on there 6.7 out of 10 uh, and then season one had an approval rating of 71% uh, off of 21 reviews sitting around uh, uh, 6.7 out of 10 rating. So I think, uh, like I said, what I recommended, if you're already entrenched in the world, it's still better than nothing. If you're like, I don't know what to watch, it's still better than nothing. You know, I don't want to say that it's it's necessarily bad, but there are like pieces of the 
of the story that I'm like, I don't think this would actually happen. Oh, this is some baloney or something like that. But it, there's still some really uh, entertaining performances is what I'd say. And entertaining is what you look for at the minimum, I would believe. I believe. And I think on top of, you know, the gorgeous cinematography, I would still recommend the season three, even sitting at that 33%. But I would be worried to see this last four, five, six seasons. It needs to come to a halt because mostly the these actors I've talked about in previous seasons, how they were pushing 30. They're like my age pushing 30 and they're playing like t- barely 20, I believe. And so we kind of need to start wrapping it up, probably have a fast forward or something. And based off of the way this season ends, we're going to start talking about spoilers. Uh, it kind of feels like they could honestly just trail off. If, if they wanted to end it at the end of the season, they could. Uh, you know, I don't think they necessarily left too many things open. So let's talk about this season in spoilers. Again, for the entire review, check out patreon.com slash podcast. You'll be able to get the entire review. You, everyone else will be getting a condensed review. And uh, eventually we will be uh, re- releasing the movies in full reviews from the Patreon. But those are locked up in the Luggedal Podcast vault for now behind the Patreon uh, tier with only a dollar. It's like just it's like for the cup of uh, it'd be like buying me a cup of coffee you could listen to hundreds of hours of look it out podcast uh patreon exclusives so be sure to check out that and we are going to discuss what uh, outer banks season three uh spoilers right now So nice me drinking this, but it's a sparkling water. I really don't know if sparkling water is bad for you, but I'm kind of obsessed with it more recently than not. Because, you know, the sodium-free, calorie-free, sugar-free. And uh, it kind of has a nice quisp at the end. I'm not crazy about the water I get out of my taps. I, I, sorry, this is random. Uh need to do some research if these are okay and healthy for you. I'm sure anything that's not just flat out water is not got to be healthy for you for something. Anyways, such a side tangent. I digress. So I don't see any... I do not see anything that says season four has been renewed. Is that a big uh uh-oh for anybody? Oh, uh, I just remember why I can't. I'm, I'm going to be burping through this. Oh, that's a, it's like the fizzy drink in Willy Wonka. So, my whole thing about uh, this season, it's the season of the fathers, the fathers, the sons, and sometimes the Holy Ghost. I don't know why I'm talking like that. So, I got to say, I love all the Pogues. These are phenomenal young actors. I think that each one of them could star in their own movie if they wanted to. I wouldn't want them like, not their own movie about the Outer Banks, but something that they would play like a young person. 
kind of in the same mode, but you know, not the same story. Anyways, I just gotta say that all of these actors and actresses are just like uh, phenomenal. They're phenomenal. So they have this gravitas that uh, makes you want to hang out with them. We start the season off on Poglandia. So at the end of the last season, they were fighting to, uh, Pope was fighting to get the cross. Cross is dropped in the ocean. Rafe decides not to shoot at them when they're leaving on the, we got all the Pogues in the boat, plus Cleo, who's now essentially a Pogue. So I'm going to call her a Pogue. Cleo was a girl that worked on the boat that was basically held hostage or something like that. And she just wanted to leave. Uh, Also, I believe, what was it? John B. John B. punches out Rafe's father, Ward. And he's like knocked out for the count, but still alive. Like I said, we're going to be discussing this in spoilers and we're going to be kind of jumping all through the season, not in sequential order, mostly because I don't have it in front of me. They, for some reason, Wikipedia does not, have, does not have it. Anyways, we start the season off. They escape the boat. They're stuck on an island for like 30 days. And apparently they don't have like any sex. So I was like, I disagree. But anyways, I had forgotten a few things that John B and Sarah C had gotten married. Which I think the best thing to do is kind of talk about this season three through each of the characters. So the dynamic between John B, Sarah C, through the season, they're okay at the beginning. In real life, apparently they've dated and have broken up. And so there's speculation that season three was kind of a relation, uh, kind of a mirror towards what's been going on with them or something like that. Anyways, shut your ass. Anyways, uh, the <laughs> over here, computer must agree or disagree anyways the uh, what was i saying oh sarah c john b it's another will they won't they previous seasons have done this she's gone away gone over back to uh uh topper so we're gonna just discuss this through the whole season the sarah c john b john b is stuck with his father john b senior big john And I've got a whole list of things to say about this kind of unlikable, greedy asshole of a guy through this whole season that we're supposed to like. John B. stuck with him the whole time. Doing little capers and shit. And so we have Sarah C. who's going off. Once they get off the island, they're saved by a guy that's looking for them, sort of. And so... It's a little sketch, a little not sketch. The first two episodes, I got to say, I was pretty, like, engrossed. Like, we are in um, Guadalupe, I believe. And it was a pretty compelling first two episodes. It was like, this is, like, really heightened. It was like Narcos meets uh, Outer Banks. Now we got these, like, drug dealer type, uh, you know, uh, scary gunmen looking guys looking for the pogues all because they 
you know, have the inform, you know, they know all the information and John B and big John and everybody knows where the, everyone's looking for the treasure. Everyone's got to get the MacGuffin to find the MacGuffin to get the guy to hit the teacher. Got to beat up a teacher. Got to break in a place. It was a fucking wild ass season. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but uh, John B big John, their relationship through this season is basically strained and to a point of you realize big john's kind of a big fucking asshole and he's greedy and he doesn't really care about his son and for reasons he couldn't leave uh sings rule and stuff like that i don't know there's a lot of different reasons of like big john was kind of not there was a lot of time focused on him and i didn't really like the guy and so the ending hinges very heavily on it and so let me continue on john b sarah c it's the will they won't they she goes kind of back to topper after fucking around and outer banks for a while and like i said i enjoy just being in the outer banks uh uh, the B-roll of Outer Banks is so much fun. Like uh, I, Sarah C just going through on a hot summer day and, you know, uh, on a bike. It just feels like we're just hanging out with them, you know? Uh, not even like what, thinking like nasty or some shit like that. Like, you know, all thinking out there. But I'm saying, you know, I, I, I just like hanging with the Pogues on the, on the, um, the ravine, man, and just uh, chilling. And so, uh, you know, she's going off doing her own thing drinking beer from bars on the water and stuff like that eventually running into topper and it's happened before that i was like oh shit topper and her are kind of not that bad together at the beginning of the season i gotta say that john b was so underwritten in the first two episodes i felt like he was barely saying anything i feel like he hardly said anything on the poglandia island or whatever as well as once he gets to uh, his father, I felt like it was just, uh, you know, him kind of being obsessed with his father a little bit and then slowly being revealed that he's not that great of a guy. It was like, felt like a very underwritten uh, use of the character. And it makes me think that I'm not sure what the writers think about John B. at this point. Because um, I felt like he's kind of like the voice of he's he's supposed to be sort of the voice of reason and like the every person, I guess, you know, we're supposed to be like in his head because we're always hearing his voiceover so this story is from his perspective in a way it has on some sort of level so anyways um the first two episodes i gotta say i was pretty compelled by visually and just uh compelling it was it was a lot of a lot of fun the further it goes in you realize john big john's not that great of a guy we'll kind of go through the whole sequence of big john now so big john apparently was capsized on an island at the end of season two and he was it was shown that he was found by that Lin, limbry lady or something like that who wanted the shrewd or something some sort of totem looking MacGuffin thing and eventually we get it to her let's just let's go ahead and finish that out i was like that was the most boring side quest i think we have we've been working for a minute and apparently we're starting to get some like mystical shit going on at this point we got the the totems with the eyes going mean you know it's just like blinding and so we you know if the the moon hits it correctly and whatnot anyways uh 
she gets the shroud. She can apparently walk after that. She feels fine, and it might be some placebo effect. Doesn't matter if it works or not. It's all about how it makes her feel, that type of thing. And so she's not after Big John anymore, but she was, you know, kind of fucking with them, took John B's Twinkie Mobile, the, the minivan, the, the Volkswagen bus. Love having that shit back. Uh, and so, um, and, and let's continue on with John B's, Big John's dad, uh, Big John Rutledge or whatever the fuck. Uh, so anyways, he apparently had, they kind of did like a small rewrite, it feels like, instead of being taken by Limbry, he was taken by Shri- Singh's guys, which is the big Scarface kind of ass guy who's like a treasure hunter that is looking for the Pogues, who's the ultimate big bad of the season, but the problem is he's kind of, he's he is a cartoon, even from the first two episodes. I don't know if he's introducing the first one or second one, but the episodes where he's sing is having to, you know, boo ha ha his way, you know, Dr. Evil almost. He's he's a cartoon in a way, but he's he is very much you know, super exaggerated and we're at the point where things are not as realistic as they were in the first season. We're in Got to step the levels up. The Pogues are now running into drug dealers and cartels and shit like that in damn Brazil or Guadalupe, sorry. Um, But, you know, I'm like, I don't know what it is about this guy or this this entire plot, but it feels a little bit hollow as well as like the gunmen that are going. So he has like this entire... Singh has like this entire gunman. He has he has an entire squad, like a mini army, and the Pogues are able just to just take them out with like fireworks and just like shindigs and and kind of just doing it the Pogue way or something like that. I, I'm pretty sure his dad says that even at one point. I'm like, what does that even fucking mean? Like you, you used to say this, like like I thought this was just like a, a recent term that they used to use. Uh, on the island like it's it, apparently saying pogue and kook was even used back in b john b's big john's day and ward's day anyways i think ward is a little bit more of a a, a interesting character e- even as a parental figure a parental like father figure and so like i said this season is about the fathers and so Kind of looking at the reflection of the two, I still find Ward a lot more compelling, probably just because he was on screen a little bit longer. But like Big John has, he's just such a greedy ass this entire time. He's like, he's ringing the fucking bell for his son over the, like the first two episodes. It feels like just ding, ding, ding. Like, and John B is like sitting like, I don't know, a couple, like, five miles away like that sounds very familiar to the come and get it come and get your breakfast boy before i come beat your ass like big john rutledge definitely did not uh i don't i don't know he did not give many positive aspects and of uh, a father figure that i thought anybody would want to portray I felt like everything he did was almost in service of his own greed 
even up until his death. And so um, I think it was around episode six or seven, I realized that big John Rutledge is not meant for this world. He's not meant for the next season and he's not meant for this world. And to the point where they made him so unlikable this season that I was like, I don't care he's dead at the end. I felt way more for something for Ward, mostly because at least it felt like there were certain times he actually wanted to be a good dad. And there were certain, there, I think they tried to do that for big John B. Rutledge, but he does it on a dime. He shifts on a dime. It like, he is like, he's like, he's almost like Gollum levels of greedy. Like, it's mine, it's mine, it's all mine. My precious, you know, like, like he's, he's so scraggly looking. Could you not shave the guy? Like, let me see what he actually looks like. Uh, long scraggly ass hair. The dude looks like Hagrid took the keto diet for like eight months. And, you know, not shaming the guy or anything, but oh my God, like he looks like a sketchy ass fuck. And if someone's dad was missing for, I think a year and a half or something like that, then, and came back looking like that, I feel like the first thing you would do is at least shave, but I, I don't, I don't fucking know. I, so it was around six or seven that I realized big John B. Rutledge is not meant for this world. And I realized that Rafe and Ward were having such a big fucking tassel over there that I was like, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, making it through this either. And so let's talk about Ward and then we'll talk. Uh, and then let's go to our favorite segment. Let's talk about Rafe. That's not really a segment or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure we said that in the previous season or episode, but it was so long ago. I can't even recall it. Let's just skip that bit. I digress. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, let me get a little bit of, uh, um, oh, about to pull it. Oh, coffee. Let me get coffee. See, that's why you can't be taking too many breaks. I almost forgot exactly. Oh, son of a fucking. Damn. Sorry. My fucking light just went out. I was so into it. So anyways, uh, that's what I was saying. You know, can't be stopping, can't be stopping in the middle of convo because it'll lose train of thought. And my train of thought begins right now. Rafe. Everybody need to talk about Rafe, Rafe, Rafe. Let's talk about Rafe, Rafe, Rafe. Rafe. Yo. This guy is going places. I have not seen this guy's uh, acting list, but he by far carries crazy the best in this show. Um, I don't have his name right now, but I'm going to look it up real quick. Just a little quick shout out of this guy because Ultra Banks, Outer Banks, you fuck, you dumb motherfucker. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. I got some. Honey roast with peanuts and um, grab. Oh, sorry. So tasty. So honey roasted. Anyways, uh, Rafe, Drew Starkly. Dude plays crazy like no one's business. It feels like he almost goes method with it. He has to be 
kind of gnarly to his father figure in the show and it's uh it it's filled with like a layered performance like this dude's head is all fucked with you know the most interesting thing about this this uh season three i feel like playing from elias's macbook Pro. no the fuck you're not no the fuck you're not not on my watch um you dumb sack so many distractions tonight i don't know what they just don't want me to podcast tonight anyways the uh this actor excellent he's in love simon hate you give outer banks i think he's going to be in several more things he's just plays crazy like no one's business so like i said he he has a very layered performance as rafe cameron and he has to have this like very contentious relationship with his father in this season ward it's just like yo this is hard to watch on some level mostly because you know i definitely had a contentious relationship with my father it never got physical i never push my father against the fucking wall like Rafe like there's certain times that you know I was like why you man you know like I I get mad but like we never got there was never physical stuff like that I mean we would sometimes yell at each other but you know my dad always was very uh you know loving when it came to that and so you know this season was about fathers and you know having lost my father in between season one and season three and seeing this go down in season three i uh i'm not getting choked up it's the pollen right now (laughs) uh i thought they kind of rushed the ending and there were certain aspects of the fathers both of rafe's father um ward and uh john b that I both liked and disliked. I thought some of the flashbacks with John B. Rutledge, Big John, um, were cute, but they overdid it and then didn't do any sort of uh, follow-up of, is this guy going to be a good father figure when he comes back? Is he meant for this world? And there were so many things he was doing. He was you know, covering up bodies. He was shooting people. I know there were certain times it was definitely self-defense and like we, sh- it was like framed. The, the the show was like framing it to like, oh my gosh, he's, he's going off the deep end. It's like, no, these people were going to shoot John B and his, and big John and big John had to save them on the jet skis. That entire sequence, John B is looking at him like, oh my goodness, my father would just cover it up a murder. It's like these motherfuckers were going to kill you, man. Like, I understand he's meant to look like an asshole in most scenes. And to be honest, he was. But it was like the show had already made up its mind in like episode three or four that, uh, you know, we, we had the weird opening up of, you know, like, is his father here? Or is he all in his head, man? And it was like, oh, he's just like cleaning the fucking garage or something like that. And Sarah C sees him and it's like, oh, yeah, he is here. And so. There, you know, it's it's kind of a, I don't know, it's, uh, soap opera is not the right word, but I don't know. It's a slanted view. I felt like I was primed to be like, you know, just fucking ripped at the end of this season. Just 
fucking in in a, another emotional state. And I got to say that it just was rushed. The characters of the fathers were so unlikable by a certain point. Ward had flipped sides like 20 times. He was good up until like episode nine, which he was like, GPS signal down to El Dorado right now. And it was like, I was like, all right, Ward, let's just relax on that. Um, e- being evil so quickly. And then all of a sudden you want us to give us a shit about him at the end, which I feel like most of the the episode at the end is like, you know, Ward died, which he kind of was an asshole and tried to kill us a couple times, strangled Sarah C a couple times, you know, you know, he was not a great guy, but you know, oh, John B, he was such a great guy. No, the fuck he wasn't like, I'm not really sure if they ever said that, oh, he was such a great guy, but I definitely feel like they were like, oh, let's give Ward the terrible guy, get the, he falls off the fucking cliff and, you know, sort of heroic sacrifice, but he's still like in not a very graceful position trying to tackle Singh's uh, last henchman guy. It's like, oh my gosh, like Singh blows up in El Dorado where there's like $12 billion, $24 billion worth of gold in there. Do we want to talk about that? I looked at what, about the size of I think it was like one pound of gold and I think it was like $22,000. And I think the, the, the piece of gold that John B and Sarah C brought out had to have been like a million dollars worth of gold at least. So that entire El Dorado place, which they are definitely colonizing. Like one thing about this season is, are we not going to talk about how we are technically like colonizing uh, El Dorado from Brazil or something like that? Like, they're like, ah, yes, we found it. It's ours. And he was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We need to run that back. Are we not going to talk about that at all? And honestly, I don't know who owns that. I don't think that if uh, uh, it explores from another country find treasure in our country, it's their treasure. I, I don't really know how that works, honestly. I don't think that if Americans went in other countries, well, well, <laughs> uh, maybe we should move on. Anyways, the colonization was like, what the fuck? Um, I think they probably got a little over a million dollars in gold uh, in that little backpack. Probably uh, maybe more because I don't know. I don't even know if they sold it. Anyways. Let me continue on. The fathers glamorized, and I feel like they, for some reason, want us to care way more about John B. Rutledge, even though, the big John, even though it's like he was kind of an asshole through this whole season, really didn't like him. And the relationship between the two was kind of contentious more than not, and just really didn't serve the plot to, like, really give a shit. I'm seeing such phenomenal filmmaking with the last of us it's almost it's almost tethering and and pushing my opinions of other things of other content to an extent like be better like it's phenomenal what the last of us is doing with just brand new characters that you're seeing in the first episode and just instantly caring and giving a shit about them and i feel like we had so many opportunities to give a shit about 
Big John. Or uh, Ward had kind of his chance. He blew his chance multiple times. Um, so uh, Big Big John, not a fan here, not a fan. And so continuing on, you know, there's this like side plot where the cross is melted down by Rafe and Teddy is his name. I forgot that one guy's name. He's a little sketchy, but I love the their little di- dynamic duo. And so he's the he, his buddy is the uh, his buddy is the guy that's trying to uh, ask him if he wants to really stay. Sorry, if he, if he thinks that his father should be, you know, keep his father around, kind of thing. And he's like, uh, Barry. Barry is his name, and so. Barry is, he's kind of just a hilarious little side character, and he seems very naturalistic. I like that guy. Uh, What was I going to say? I'm going to go with coffee. Okay, so. Barry, they, uh, I forgot he owned a drug a pawn, sorry, a pawn shop. Anyways. I'm kind of looking at some of those things. So, Rafe, Barry, melt on the cross. They melted into gold, which I know is uh, immensely terrible. But from the bad guy's perspective, it makes it much easier to move from a logistical standpoint of not having a fucking huge piece of a relic i can totally understand why they did that even though it was asinine and terrible (laughs) so i think you can see both ways the uh rest of the story goes barry hires a hitman hitman tries to get ward but this hitman is hired by barry on account of rafe rafe is the one that decides that ward needs to go so Barry hires the hitman. Hitman tries to get Ward. Misses. Rafe kills him. And now they're on the same team. Relatively. From there, Ward has to go to Guadalupe so that he's not seen in Charleston, even though he was already there in the first place. And just taking a convenient nap in the first episode and then wakes up around the second or third episode and that's when the contentious stuff starts happening with Rafe but anyways that's kind of how they begin and so he ends up ending in Guadalupe as well but they're on better terms but does Rafe doesn't know that that's the last time he's going to see his pops but you can kind of see that their relationship has kind of run its course anything else uh you know, the whole El Dorado treasure find was, it just felt like, oh, we need to find the shrewd, to find the map, to find the teacher, to find the place, to find the El Dorado. It felt so intangible all fucking season that I was just like, all right, we're not even looking for the, like royal merchant type stuff anymore, which feels kind of like backburner whatnot, which the car... Carla Limbry character 
uh, who was Ward's former associate, um, she's like terrible in season two and season one and is like written to the background, mostly is antagonizing Pope and his heritage and his family and, you know, all that jazz. But th- this season feels like it writes her in and then writes her right out because it was like, we know she's not an interesting storyline for some reason. And as a matter of fact, it feels like this royal merchant kind of gets put to the side burner and in replacing, we're just looking at like, uh, royal merchant, uh, El Dorado. That sounds like a good place to go. Let's go there. Let's go there. And so th- it just feels kind of like a, a little jarring to kind of go from that to that. And now they're just considered treasure hunters at the end of the season, like some Nancy Drew looking for clues uh not crime solvers but like i said uh, tomb raiding type treasure hunters some dude wants them to go get tr- blackbeard's treasure or something like that then i was like all right we've seen enough is enough everyone you know i'm like i think that uh, ocean sorry oceans I, i've been fighting not to say oceans Ocean's Banks, no, uh, Outer Banks is starting to run its course when we start to bring in Blackbeard because it felt like we had such a grounded season in the first episode. And then at the very end we're of season three, by the end, we're fighting cartel members, flying into Brazil using drug planes. It's like really fucking uh, stretching the uh, credulity, I guess, uh, the, the naturalistic storytelling, but it's still like beautifully shot. So I'm just like, I can't complain about the way it looks. Like if it, if it looked bad, I'd be like, all right, I can't watch this because it's just like, now we're not, you know, following any logical sense. And on top of that, we are, uh, not putting any money into the budget of what it looks like either. These people, sorry, these people, these actors, uh, these characters are still a lot of fun to be with and hang with. Um, Kiara, Pope, Cleo. Let's talk about Pope and Cleo real quick. Pope and Cleo, they're a big will they, won't they, this whole season. Not a bad thing. I think they're really cute for each other. Pope's character, though, I really liked how... He was just like the super intellectual one that just knew what to do, where to go. He's just the logical one. And I feel like he was so emotion driven this season that it really brought him back two steps. Was not crazy about the Pope character. Woe is me. I've got this great family. I've got this great life. And there's this big contrast with Cleo, which I love the Cleo character. Oh my gosh, this new actress is as Cleo is, is, uh, Clarcia Grant as Cleo. I thought she was really a bright spot in the season and a bright spot, uh, in Pogue's storyline too, because Pogue just gets so dark to the point where he's like, I'm gonna finish him about to, I think, shoot Rafe at one point. And I'm like, dude, you need to get some fucking therapy at this point because you've got a great home life. You've got like both your parents. His parents are so fucking funny. I love Pope's parents. I wish we got more scenes with them. They are so fucking like 
But what the hell are you doing? Where the hell have you been this entire time? Chasing, chasing girls and pogues and kooks. And, and you got this treasure hunter and then you, you got Danny, Danny, Mash, uh, uh, Tanner. What, what's his name? Uh, 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 Michael B. Jordan's treasure or something like that. I don't know what the hell. To, they, they are so, they, they are so funny and, I feel like they're speaking what the audience is thinking, like the majority of the time. <laughs> they're like, oh my goodness, I, I really like Pope's parents. But I digress. So the only person I don't think we've talked about is Kiara. Basically, she's like put into a position of like a Bond girl at the beginning of this season. It's like, what is going on here? Like, she gets kidnapped. And she's taken by Sing's guys, and she's got to wear, like, a sexy outfit, and she might have to join the forces. A lot of questions. I was like, I always liked the Kiara performance. My only gripe with it was she's taken into this, like, what feels like, like, three different times it feels like uh oh, Kiara's been kidnapped. Whether it's by her parents or the cartel or someone else, I feel like Kiara is stays getting put in the damsel in distress uh kind of position. Whether she's like you know in that like that camp. Okay, so I got to talk about that camp real quick. So the Kiara camp, I went to camp. I'm not going to disclose where it was called, what it was called. Um, people around here know which one it was. Close friends do, but it, it doesn't matter. I despised camp before I went to camp. I don't know why. Maybe I was just like a really pampered uh, only child for the majority of my life. And so seeing this Kitty Hawk camp was giving me such PTSD. I wasn't taken in like that. I wasn't tricked into going, but one of my buddies uh, said, you know, hey, man, I'm going to this like fun, uh, fun camp. And you know, you can do water sports. There's a lot of fun things to do. We're there for about two weeks. It'd be a lot of fun, that type of thing. And I was like, maybe I'll just live outside my comfort zone. And I had just gotten my contacts uh, for, you know, from wearing glasses. I think it was like probably fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. And so felt comfortable kind of going out and, you know, exploring this camp in Kitty Hawk that, uh, What's it called? Uh, Kiara had to go to. Kitty Hawk has a real place uh, location in North Carolina, pretty close to uh, Outer Banks, I believe. And so, and I don't know if you can get there in an hour and back when JJ was trying to do that. Oh my gosh. So I I had to go to the camp. Long story short, I had to go to this camp. By like the second or third day, I wanted to escape just like Kiara. I was literally hiding under the beds. They were doing like some crazy fucking like cabin versus cabin extreme pillow fighting like everybody would beat the shit out of each other at the end and it was it was crazy as shit they would play like trance music and dance with the devil and shit like dude i was traumatized from a very young age like they were making us listen to like immortal technique at like like fourth grade i'm still like recovering from that go to an aftercast i won't i'm not sure which one i'll do but one of the aftercasts I will discuss my camp experience because it literally traumatized the shit out of me. I never went to camp again. Fuck that shit. So Kiara's camp 
literally gave me PTSD from so many levels. I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And Kiara got to get the fuck out of here. And like, I, I knew exactly how she felt. So she's captured, taken. JJ essentially weasels his way in. You know, he's sly JJ, super nice, uh, likable guy, talkable guy. You know, that's how he does it. Always talks his way into shit. He's the talker. They're, they're almost like a heist crew. They all have like their own specialties, except they're all just kind of bullshitters. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I do enjoy them, except for a Cleo. I actually feel like she has actual, um, you know, used. Can't she? Wasn't she like fishing at the beginning or something like that? Like she was providing for the majority of the group at the beginning. So, and uh, they made Poglandy look pretty fun. Not gonna lie, when after watching Triangle Sadness, I would never want to be on an island. But looking at Poglandia, you know, I was like maybe. I was thinking. <laughs> so, um, continuing on, Kiara. Yeah, she's kidnapped at the beginning by Sings, guys. In the middle, she's like, uh, she's under a ton of stress from her parents. It's a will they, won't they with JJ. JJ's being an asshole in the begin in the middle of this, and then he has to apologize for the way he's acting. I'm like, why would you even ask act like that, man? So I was like, it was. I didn't really understand that. Uh, you know, they have that one rule where you can't date other pogues, even though over half of them dated everybody else. I don't know. Um, so, um, that, like I said, big will they, won't they, uh, don't let me forget that Topper almost tried to kill everybody by setting fire to John B's house. And uh, there was a little sketchy CGI stuff going on there, but, um, I got to say that Topper, dude, what the fuck? I, everyone was rooting for you. We saw... There was some decent, uh, you know, uh, Sarah Topper, Sarah Topper, uh, I was going to say goobs, um, Pogues action where they were all doing the heist off the train and doing all the fun things and Pope and Cleo had to act like a couple and stuff like that. Like, um, I honestly thought for a minute that Topper could be part of the Pogue crew, but he literally tried to commit. He did commit arson. He fucking destroyed all of uh, John B's, uh, I think it was John B's house. And so I'm not sure how that's going to end up. Maybe he's, everything's forgiven at the end, but I was just like very dismayed with this guy. I was like, son of a bitch, this guy went into a fucking cartoon. With saying that, there was like a small scene of him and his, fa- him and his mother getting in the car when Sarah C was going to press charges. Let's talk about this. So there's a big fight between John B and uh, John B, Sarah C, and Topper. So uh, basically, Sarah C, when she got in a fight with John B, she went and hung out with Topper. They had got a little drunk. She says she uh, hooked up with him, which I'm assuming that means she slept with him, and that was on that island or whatever the fucking lighthouse shit was. Uh, and I had forgotten that they had. Uh, you know, they had gotten married and stuff like that, that John B and Sarah C had gotten married. It's like, dude, that's like double whammy. And so he's like super pissed. He goes up, beats Topper over the head and then continues to pound on his fucking head. I was like, Jesus. I was like, yo, this guy went in. I was like, John B went off. And I was like, the thing is, this season does become predictable in a way. It's like, don't do it. Don't do it. He did it. And it's like, you're like, don't, you're like Ward and uh, John B's father in like episode seven, episode eight. You're like, oh God, don't, y'all don't do it. Oh, they did it. And it's like, oh, and effed around and found out kind of thing. So, you know, with saying all of that, 
Jesus. Uh, uh, where was I going with that? Anyways, uh, you know, basically, John B. Topper, Sarah C. The Sarah B. John B. Sorry, I, I, you know, them getting married and everything, and then her basically going against it. It just felt like they needed this to happen for some sort of like logistical reason. And then at the very end, you know, she's like, I need you to do one more thing for me and I'll stay with you. Topper. Uh, Sarah C says that. And it's like, dude, she's lying through her fucking teeth. She's, she can barely say that with a straight fucking face. And so it's like, uh, he's like, Oh, you'll stay with me on the Island forever. It's like, no, she ain't man. She out man. Dude, she don't like you dog. And so, he gets played like a fiddle and they're waiting on the fucking strip. Uh, and of course, Rafe sees them. This is before all that the night before he tries to burn down their fucking house, John B's fucking house. And, uh, you know, when he sees John B and Sarah C hooking up on the night that he was supposed to be hanging out with him. And, um, yeah, he was pissed. And so, He's like, so when they meet on the strips, he's like, so this was going to be, and he's, you know, he's like, all right, it's going to be that way. And so I think from there, uh, Topper starts telling on them. I think he tells the sheriff department where they're at. He's like, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, open up the case. I want to do the, the I want to do the suit. I want to sue his ass or whatever the fuck and um, send all the cops, I believe, to the airstrip. And so that's when all that's happening. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, Key and JJ are doing a little escape from the Key Hawk camp. And uh, the Kitty Hawk camp was fucking scary when she was like being like followed by those guys. It was just, like a slow reveal of these giant ass men who she's like, no, like being taken in. Like, do they really fucking do that these days? I haven't seen that done in a while. Um, uh, like, I feel like people don't. I don't know. She's I was like, what year is this? Like the 50s or something like that <laughs> acting this way um very uh aggressive though i'd be fucking flipping out somebody grabbing me like that i'll be like how dare you oh hands off do you know me so anyways uh anything else anything else i think that's about it not much to say about the sheriff dupity or whatever the fuck all the police stuff of anything of anyone getting in trouble basically is swept under the rug. It's all good by the end of the season. Should have guessed that. They basically wrapped every single storyline up that I can think of. Would have liked a little bit more Wheezy. She's pretty fucking hilarious. She's like used as a pawn by uh, Ward to lure Cam- uh, Sarah there to that little like like fishing shack, which I thought was kind of cool. I like that little fishing shack. Um, like I said... The thing about this show that I really like is it feels lived in, even though there are some like way over the top things happening in the season. Uh, it's I still like like the um, the aesthetics of people are just sweaty as fuck. They got these their clothes are barely hanging on to them. It's like looks uncomfortable to an extent. It just doesn't look like they're sitting in a little green screen background CGI, whatever you know. So 
yeah, let me see if there's anything. Are they, they going to be going for Blackbeard's treasure? Do they need to be doing that at almost what they're going to be like 35 when the next season comes out? I don't know. I, 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 you know what I say is maybe do like a movie or something, give them some real money to see what they could do with it. And then kind of end the season. I always like a nice little movie at the end, but if we didn't get another season, which I think I already, I did see something on IMDb that we're going to get another season, season four in 2024 but I don't have a confirmation of that. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, I've in. Oh, wow. Uh, Drew Starkley's from Hickory, North Carolina. That's not too far from her. Um, anyways, I digress. This season was a little bit more sloppy for me than I was uh, anticipating, but like I said, still the, so much practical, practical effects going on in there that um the um the thing i i like about it is just the aesthetics and hanging out with these individuals it just feels like a very fun show to go through and it's the thing that i always go back to is it's so breezy it's paced pretty impeccably well i feel like they know that they're their netflix audience so um yeah check out Outer Banks season three. Let me know what you thought about the review, the show, the season, what you think about uh, the next season is going to be. Are we going to be going for Blackbeard's treasure and whatnot? I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. JJ. I didn't really talk about JJ that much. I don't feel like he had too much of a, a, a big arc for this season. You know, he's trying to get, uh, you know, JJ's just trying to get uh, a leg up. His father's out. I think they sent his father out of out of the country or something like that. I can't remember. He was abusive as fuck. And this season, it just feels like he, you know, his his house is being foreclosed and stuff like that. He has no money coming in. Uh, you, you know, he needs to kind of do little skeevy jobs to kind of stay afloat. I not much to say about JJ's uh, character progression, but he does remain to have some of the best lines i'd say you know fucking goblin modes one of you know obviously top 10 so like i said let me know what you thought about i was gonna say ocean banks uh let me know what you thought about outer Banks season three review podcast apple podcast five stars subscribe you know what to do once we get a thousand subscribers we will have monetization powers at our control so everyone that helps um you know be sure to do all that you know what to do look at our podcast like share subscribe look at our podcast.com take it easy and pogue life for life hashtag